Friends, I love a good graphic tee, don't you? Did you know that I just launched my new magic wear? Yes, that's right. I have new designs, colors, clothing, cups, and hats. You can celebrate the love of reading by rocking an open the magic hat to the beach, a picture books are my jam shirt to the gym, and sip your chai tea latte on Fridays like me in a all new, all the confetti moments logo mug. Order today by visiting my shop at bit.ly backslash magic wear store. Again, that's B-I-T dot L-Y backslash M-A-G-I-C-W-E-A-R-S-T-O-R-E. All right, let's open the magic together and spread the love of reading all around the world. Hey friends, welcome to the Confetti Moments Podcast. I'm your host, Courtney Hinshaw. I believe that picture books open the magic for all readers. Today, open your heart and let all the book feels in. It's going to be so much fun. Let's open the magic. Welcome to another episode of Confetti Moments. I'm so glad you're here today. On today's episode, I get a chance to sit down and talk with Marcy Colleen. We are going to talk about her new book that just came out on August 31st called The Survivor Tree. It's going to be a really heartful episode, and I hope you have your cup of coffee or your cup of tea, and you really sit and listen and just really enjoy and find a moment where you can be grateful during this episode. So without further ado, welcome, Marcy. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited you're here. I'm fangirling. And then I was totally already looking. So people know I do these on Zoom and so I can see you. And so I can see your beautifully, not corrugated, I can't think of the word, but rainbow book collection back there. And I'm like, I want to know what you have back there, but. Oh, it's all, it's all picture books. And during the pandemic, I just got sick of looking at my bookcases and decided that that was the time that I was going to rainbow everything, which is awesome. But the problem is sometimes I can't remember what the color of a spine of a book is and I'm looking for it quickly, but you know, a rainbow is worth it. Right. So tip for that. I have the same problem because all my social emotional books are in Roy G. Biv order. So I keep a, um, Google Doc of all my books, and that's now a new tab that says um, Color Spine. Oh, you are smart. My husband said he was like, I can easily make you an index. And I was like, eh, but then, you know, life started opening back up again, and we haven't gotten to that point. But yeah, I think an index is needed sometimes. Yes, I agree. I started mine back in college, and I've kept it going. And right now, I have a stack here and a stack here that I need to upload today into it. So I'm not perfect, but. Well, let's stop talking about me. Let's talk about you. Can you tell my listeners a little bit more about yourself? Yes, I am a children's author. I write children's picture books and chapter books, and I am making my comics debut this summer, which is really exciting. Um, But I'm a former teacher. I used to be a classroom teacher. I was a high school teacher for about five years in, um, in Syracuse, New York, and 
after that, I mean, I've also been in the theater. I had a career in New York City. Um, I was a nanny for a while and I decided I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life after a while. Um, and now I get to write children's books for a living and it is really the coolest job I could have ever asked for. Oh my gosh, I love it. So I need to know, what did you teach in high school? I taught English, which would not be surprising uh, for ninth and 10th graders. And I also taught drama. That's so awesome. So I grew up with a mom who's an English teacher for 30 years. And it's so funny because when we were, uh, when I'm, I'm a teacher, I teach, well, I taught third grade last year, and then I usually teach fifth and there'd be some things we do in grammar. And I was like, I have no clue. And so we call my mom, we call her the grammar goddess, literally get my phone out, call her. And then she like would help teach the lesson and the kids loved it. But I love that. Yeah. Cause grammar, I mean, she gets giddy diagramming a sentence. Oh, you know what? I have to say, I am the English teacher who never properly learned how to diagram a sentence. And I remember in college, in undergrad, having to take a grammar class and I could not stand the diagramming of sentences. So now I'm lucky that I get to write stuff and then editors and copy editors get to get their hands on it and make sure that I sound like I'm doing everything grammatically correct. <laughs> I love it. I'm glad. See, there's a job for everybody in this world. There is. I love how you talked about how much you love being a picture book author. So I would love to know what is your input into the question, why are picture books so important and how can we help the stigma of their for babies continue to fly away so that picture books can be for all? Oh, uh, yes. Um, it's interesting because when I was a high school teacher, before I even really had on my radar that I ever wanted to write children's books, um, I was drawn to picture books. Like I would go to this Barnes and Noble and I would find myself in the children's section and wanting to buy picture books and, and kind of being a little perplexed because I'd be like, but I don't have kids and why would I buy this book? And there is, there's a stigma attached that it's, those are for kids. Those are not for adults. They're not for high school age kids. But when I was a high school teacher, I brought picture books into the classroom. And the reason why I did that was, for me, picture books are these tiny morsels of 32 pages usually, and they include heart and they include humor. And a lot of times they include a lot of empathy and knowledge and understanding about worlds that we don't even know. And there's something that you can digest in one sitting that can hit you to the core and teach you something and make you feel something that I don't know if there's another kind of written piece that does that. Even a short story, it takes a while to read. Um, a picture book also has the added value of having the, the visual component to it. So it, it helps with literacy in that way, with comprehension, and it, it, it builds up the world of what the text is saying. And, and so to me, it, it just felt like these tiny little perfect morsels that had such nuggets that you could take away from it. And I think even recently, there was a Jeopardy contestant who was like acing everything. And he thanked like picture books for all of this stuff. And I'm like, if you want to learn about anything, find it in a picture book because it will be boiled down to its essence and teach you what is necessary, but in a very compelling and in, in hooked way. And most of the time with narrative, which makes it very easy to remember as well if there's a narrative attached to it. 
I totally agree with that. I even think about my nephew, he's going to be in fourth grade and he always attached himself to nonfiction books because he loved to learn. And I think that's such a great way for all of us to become you know, better thinkers, better everything by using nonfiction text to help. And I agree, I'll go sit in the bookstore for hours. And then I'm like the, you know, the lady listening to everybody else's conversations, like, oh, let me recommend a book for you. <laughs> like, I'm like the little book fairy. But no, I, I so agree with that. So I love asking this question to all my guests because I feel like there is a connection and I've been proven wrong. So I love to see what I, what you're going to say, but what were you like as a reader growing up and did that influence your choice to be a author? Yes. Um, so I did love books as a child. Um, I didn't, I have to say there's kind of a, a little bit of the, a hole in my childhood reading and the fact that I find that as an adult who writes children's literature, there's a lot of the classics that I didn't read. Like I didn't read Wind in the Willows. And I did a lot of these books I've read later on in life. You know, I, I circle back and I'm like, wow, I never read Phantom Tollbooth. Maybe I should read Phantom Tollbooth or maybe I should, you know, um, read The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. There was definitely um, holes. I was the one who liked to read the books that were super fun, that, you know, were kind of bubblegummy. Um, even like when I got to be a teenager, it was all about Sweet Valley High for me, yes. which may kind of feels a little like shameful. It's like, oh, well, my favorite books when I was a teenager were Sweet Valley High, when like so many of my colleagues are talking about these like big time kid lit classics. And I was like, well, I can tell you about Jessica and, you know, <laughs> um, but I also, you know, and I tell kids this all the time when I meet with students at schools and whatnot, that in addition to being an avid reader as a kid and being entertained by books, I also wrote books at a very early age. And in fact, I found some of the books that I wrote when I was like in second and third and fourth grade when I was getting ready to move to California. And one of the books that I had written, it was a picture book about a rainbow that I had written when I was um, in second grade. And I had an about the author section in that back of the book. And I don't even remember this, but it said that I wanted to be a successful author when I grew up. And I do not remember writing that at all. In fact, I don't even fully remember having that dream of being an author. I mean, I was the type of kid that I was like, I want to be a, a singer and I want to be a dancer and I want to be, you know, I wanted to be all the things. Like if it was creative, I wanted to be it. But there are several pieces of writing that I did when I was a child that call back to the fact that I wanted to be a writer. And I think that that's always been a part of me. I think it's similar to when you are a fan of a sports team and you watch sports all the time. And then there's this part of you that says, I wonder if I can do that. Can I play basketball? Can I play baseball? And so a lot of times kids get involved in playing sports. And with me, it was reading other people's books and wondering, can I do that? And when you're a kid, you ask, can I do that? But then you don't wait for the answer. You just do it. And you just do it because that's what you do. Like you go into your room and 
you know, you might escape for a couple of hours and you come back and you had like a full, you know, book that you wrote. I wish I so I had that sometimes. Now my adult brain starts to edit me and and I start to doubt myself and still ask myself, can I do this? And then sometimes I have an answer that's not very kind to myself. <laughs> I'm going to tell you, yes, you can do it. <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate that. But definitely um, the reading and the writing went hand in hand with me um, in creation. No, I, I totally agree with that. I had a student this year who said when she first came into my class, she wanted to be a designer. And then because I shared so many picture books and so many chapter books, she wanted to become a writer. And for her gate project, she wrote this amazing story. And I'm like, it is really good. I'm like, I hope you get this published when you're a little bit older because it was phenomenal. Oh, I actually have one of the books that I wrote when I was in elementary school where one of my teachers who I would not even know how to get into the touch with this teacher again, but she had written in her teacher script at the top of the story, um, I wanna read this when you get it published. And I mean, for a kid, that means everything, right? That somebody believes in you enough that you could possibly be published someday. But looking back on it also as an author now, that just means so much to me that somebody saw something in me back then. Absolutely. And I'm thinking you can find this person. I mean, Facebook, Instagram, like I'm already like, oh, I'll help you find. <laughs> Nobody's ever lost anymore. <laughs> right. I, that's for sure. Okay. So I want to talk about your new book that came out in the end of August called The Survivor Tree. Tell me everything, whatever you want. So this is my first nonfiction book. I've never written, well, I've never published a nonfiction book. Um, but back in probably around 2015, I learned of the 9-11 survivor tree. Um, I had already moved, I believe, from New York City to Southern California, but I was reading in the New York Times an op-ed that was about all of the different trees that were going to be planted down part of the memorial, the September 11th memorial in Lower Manhattan. And as a New Yorker, I never went down to the memorial. I had no interest. Most, most New Yorkers that I know, they kind of just stay away from that place. They don't go there. Um, so I never knew about the survivor tree. And then I learned its story. And this is a tree, a pear tree, actually, that um, was at the foot of the towers somewhere in the World Trade Center Plaza. And on September 11th was crushed by the towers, was burned, decapitated, um, just completely mangled. However, in October 2001, when the workers were um, digging, they found this tree and it actually had some green leaves on it which anybody who is in New York City or in anywhere where there are um, you know, trees that change color know that in October in New York, trees, especially trees that lose their leaves, do not have green leaves. But I have since learned that trees will do that in distress. They do that as a way of kind of showing, hi, something's not right here. Um, and so the workers, which I love the heart of this because for some reason in the midst of such tragedy and day-to-day -day drudgery of cleaning up ground zero and looking for life and not finding life, these workers had it in them to say, let's try to save this tree. And they, they call it the last living thing that was pulled from the rubble. 
which gives me total chills when I say that out loud. Oh, I'm and, like crying over here. So. <laughs> and so they took the tree and they moved it to the Bronx, to um, a parks department nursery where they were going to try to rehabilitate this tree. And it didn't look like it could possibly, I mean, who knew what was going to happen? Um, the following year came, it didn't end up blossoming. Um, the story goes, which I did not add into, I did not make up, um, but it is in my book is that this, the tree was showing no signs of basic life until a dove nested in its branches. And then suddenly it started to blossom and this tree began to show signs of life again. And the thing about this kind of tree is a calorie pear tree that I learned in my research is that they're actually pretty fragile trees. <laughs> and cities use them a lot because they have very straight trunks and not any low-lying branches. So the branches are up a little bit higher. And they also show an amazing seasonal display. In the, in the spring, they have gorgeous white flowers all over them. In the, in the summer, they're just these glossy green leaves. And then in fall, they are these bright red leaves. And so cities like them to line you know, streets and stuff because they just give a nice seasonal display. But they are fragile and a simple bump from a mail truck or a snow plow can completely kill them. And most calorie pear trees don't live past like age 30. So the fact that this pear tree was probably planted in the World Trade Center Plaza 30, at least 30 years before September 11th had these two towers completely crush it and then survive. And here we are at the 20th anniversary of September 11th. And this tree is down at the World Trade Center Memorial. It is flourishing. It is just, it's stunning. And, you know, as somebody who myself has gone through moments that feel like, how can you move on from this? Like we all felt with September 11th to see this tree and to know that this tree exists and that this tree is, is a symbol of hope and resilience for us is just amazing to me. I've, I've visited the tree several times now. And one of the things that's really striking about it, and I make note of this in my book, is that um, the, the bark of a calorie pear tree is very coarse and rough. And so you have the coarse and rough bark, but then you have a line of demarcation, which is actually where the tree was broken on September 11th. So it's almost like a living timeline. You can see the line that is actually the day of September 11th. And then all of this smooth, beautiful branches coming from that line. And, you know, when September 11th happened, I, I you know, so many of us did not feel like there was hope. And to now have this tree as the symbol of, yeah, there was loss. Yeah, there was great grief. This was a tragedy, but it can be survived is just um, amazing to me. So I heard the story and I was just like, this needs to be a picture book. And I sent it to my agent right away. And she was like, yes, definitely. This needs to be a picture book. And, um, you know, but then I battled for a few years of wondering, is this my story to tell? Can I tell it in the way that is going to be the most impactful? I knew that I wanted it to be lyrical with sparse text. And um, 
I didn't know if I could do that. I never published anything that was lyrical or poetic that was also nonfiction. And uh, it took, you know, my writing community um, helping me and um, giving me the courage to go through and write the story to be the published book today. Oh my gosh, and I'm over here in tears, everybody. Um, <laughs> because even though I did not live in New York when it happened, like I remember every moment of that day. And then six years ago, my mom and I did take a trip to New York and we went to the memorial. And like, you can't describe the feelings as an American of what that's like. And then when you go, there's this part where you, it's like a living timeline and you can't take any pictures. You can't, and it's like, dead silent in this room and it's just so much like so many emotions and so I feel like that's what it's going to feel like when I get to read your book mm -hmm. not knowing this story because knowing like we've all gone through hard things and hope does flourish mm -hmm. we all go yeah. through hard things we have to remember that there's always hope at the end of the the rainbow or whatever always especially since you know I was a classroom teacher when on September 11th and okay. you know it was very tough being the the adult in the room who's supposed to have all the answers when at that moment I realized that it's okay to get me maybe it doesn't feel okay but we don't all have the answers and there are indis indescribable things that happen in this world that we just can't explain and when you have all of these eyes looking at you asking you questions um the thing is you know it wasn't until you know over a decade later when I learned about the survivor tree and it just, it gave me hope that I didn't have when I, on that day and even months afterward. And I wish I had known sooner. I wish I had known on October, 2001, that they had found this tree and that I could have followed because it is such a, um, a symbol now. And um, I was just, I, I'm just so glad that I was able to, um, find the words to tell the story. And you, you had said like, I don't know if I'm the right one, but I feel like you are because you were there and you had those emotions that even I don't have. I have different emotions than you, but it is your story to tell because you were there. Yeah, you know, so I was, I was in Syracuse, New York, which is about, you know, a four hour drive outside of New York City. So I wasn't in New York City. My husband was in New York City at the time, but I obviously didn't know him then. And I, you know, was already a grad student at New York University. So I had spent lots of time in New York. My brother lived there. Um, I had already had plans to move to New York and I had been in the process of, of making that change. So New York has always felt like a home to me. Um, but yeah, I mean, there, there was lots of doubt. Is this my story? Can I tell this? Am I claiming this story and telling it? Like, am I, am I somehow centering myself in this story, um, which I absolutely did not want to. But one of the magical things that happens when I finally made the decision to write this story um, was that I hadn't thought about it in a while. And I was hanging out with a friend of mine in Balboa Park, right up the street here in San Diego. And she was asking me what I was working on. And I was telling her, oh, you know, I have this idea for this book on the 9-11 survivor tree. And I don't know, I don't know if I should write it. And she was like, oh, you should totally write that story that she was blown away by the, the actual story. And um, she's like, you should start writing that. And as I was walking through Balboa Park to say goodbye to her, 
all of a sudden I looked and there was a calorie pear tree right there in Balboa Park, which I had never noticed before. And it was flowering. It had the white petals on it. And I was like, oh my goodness. And I looked at my friends and I said, this is one of the trees. I didn't know that they grew around here. I said, I just knew them from New York. And she was like, it's a sign. You're supposed to write this story. So then that night, my husband and I were on our nightly walk into Balboa Park and I'm telling him this story and I'm showing him that's the tree that I just passed with my friend and that's a calorie pear tree. As I get done telling him the story, I get to our turnaround point and I look and I'm not kidding. As far as the eye can see, there are flowering calorie pear trees everywhere that it was almost like I couldn't, I didn't see them until that moment. Like I wasn't aware of them. We had walked in the park every single night, but it was like all of a sudden that moment, it was like everything just solidified. And I, I felt like, okay, Marcy, this, this is a story that you're supposed to tell. Somebody is telling you that you're supposed to tell the story. And so therefore write it. <laughs> oh my gosh. I think that's one thing I love about interviewing authors is getting to hear the backstories because that makes the story even so much better. That Oh, yeah. wow. Thank you. Thank you. So as you know, I'm a teacher and I always want to celebrate 9-11, but sometimes I get, it's a hard topic to have because you just don't know different family backgrounds or like, and then like now these kids have, I mean, we're, we're ancient to my students now. <laughs> um, and so really, I mean, they weren't even alive when this happened. So what ideas do you have for teachers to use your book to honor 9-11? Well, I mean, obviously, I think the book will be used to honor 9-11. And I, I want, I, I want um, teachers to use the cycle of seasons as a way of showing that, you know, something can happen that has great loss, that has great tragedy or crisis attached to it. But as I say, um, I believe I say it in my author's note in the back of the book that, um, you know, when September 11th first happened, first of all, any of us who were in New York, in, in the Northeast that day, mostly remember how vividly blue the sky was. The sky was just this perfect blue. In fact, it's a blue that my husband and I now call Cali blue because it's the way the sky looks here in San Diego pretty much every day. And so it's this really vivid blue. And, but the second that the tragedy happened and the towers fell, it was almost like color was completely blotted out. And you look at photographs and footage from that day and there is no blue sky. There is no color at all. They look, the, the photographs almost look black and white because they are so covered in, in ash and soot and everything is just gray. And the, the, the weeks and the months following September 11th, there really was this feeling of Will the color ever return? Will we ever get to the point where we're laughing again? That we're like, you know, I remember at one point there was a conversation, will Saturday Night Live ever come back? How can we laugh after this? And it sounds kind of absurd looking at it now, but what I get from the, the survivor tree is that life does go on and there is color and there is rebirth and there is growth. And even though that tree will always bear scars of what happened to it on September 11th, it is, it is powerful and it has survived. And so I would love to see teachers focus on that idea of the cyclical nature and that sometimes like, you know, I mean, 
sure, we would like to tell kids that, you know, unicorns and rainbows are all the world is about, but, you know, the living in this world also comes with tragedy and loss and heartbreak. And to know that there's life after that, that you can be changed from that, but there can also be beauty and there can be life after that. And I would love to see teachers also be able to because we are ancient <laughs> to kids. I mean, like 2001 to them is ancient. I mean, there are 20 year olds now that were born in 2001. Like it just blows my mind. Um, but because it is an ancient story for many of these kids, I would love to see teachers make a connection between what we've all been through in this pandemic. I remember somebody poignantly saying to me during the pandemic that by the time Survivor Tree comes out, there will not be a single person on this planet who did not survive something big. And it's true. I mean, kids, they've been resilient. They had, you know, a school year where sometimes week to week, they didn't know when they were going to go to school. You know, as a teacher, you know that. I mean, there was such uncertainty which is very similar to the uncertainty that we felt after September 11th, never knowing like what was going to happen next. Um, and, and we won't know, but to just kind of hold fast to the fact that we will get through this and that we will survive and we will be changed, um, but we can be changed for the good as well. And we can stand as, um, as symbols, our own survivor trees of, of going through something big. Oh, that's just so beautiful. And it just, something just tapped into my brain when you said like standing alone as like a survivor tree. I feel like it would be such a cool project for kids to like talk about themselves as a survivor tree and like what they've endured. And like, I see an art project flowing in my head. Oh but yeah. I would love to see kids like lay down on the big butcher paper and you could do like the outline and make them into trees and then have them right inside, like all the different things that they've endured, that they've overcome. I mean, so much of the book, sure, it is about September 11th and an event that happened on September 11th, but so much of the book is really about that life after. It's not, I mean, the actual event of September 11th is two page spreads in the book and everything after that is, is all about life after. And we are, hopefully, we are now in a season of life after a tragedy. Um, you know, so many of us have lost days and years and people and money and in senses of security and to, to know that we are in those hopeful pages at the end of that is, is something that I would love teachers to tap into. I love that. So I have a question that's not on here, but do you do virtual visits? Because can I book you for September 10th? I've already looked on my phone that day September 11th. Oh, sure. Absolutely. That's a Friday. That would be awesome. Okay. Well, chat after the um, interview. <laughs> I was, as you were talking, I was like looking on my phone when September 11th. Okay. It's a Saturday. She can come on the Friday. Um, so my next question I love to talk about, because I'm, as you know, you are a teacher. I am a teacher. How did your work as a teacher influence your work as an author? Um, I think that being a teacher, I, I realized the power of narrative to have an effect on kids. And, you know, even with nonfiction, you know, you can teach a kid about 
something that happened in a historical moment that was very poignant, ah, they can memorize facts, they can know, you know, the timeline of what happens, but to actually put a personal story onto it and learn about a kid who lived back then, those are the stories that have impact. And so when I'm doing my own writing, like I always try to keep it that person, like the narrative, who, what is the person? Like we can talk about um, an event. I could have written a picture book that was just about the events of 9-11, but looking at this tree as a character and what this tree has gone through um, has more impact. It, it makes it come to life for kids. Now, I, I left teaching back in 2002. I stopped full-time teaching. I now teach adults how to write for kids. And I do a lot of that kind of work. And I, I, I remember my mom specifically saying to me when I told her that I was gonna leave full-time teaching and I was going to look to be in theater education full-time in New York City. She said to me, just promise me you'll never stop being a teacher. I think that's a gift that you have. And she's, she's right because I do feel like when I am teaching, I do feel alive. I feel more yeah. energized. I could have like the most slogging day where I'm just like, and I'm like, I don't want to teach tonight. And I'm just like no energy and no creativity. But the second I'm like teaching, I'm like alive, I'm on, I feel full of energy. And so even though I left teaching in 2002, it's very much still a part of who I am. And then I moved into being in the theater full time, which, you know, had its own lessons. I learned, you know, how to hold an audience's attention and how active and visual storytelling makes an impact and how important pacing is. But when I look at those things that I learned from theater that play into my writing, I realize that those are all things that I needed as a teacher too. We needed to realize pacing and, you know, to be active in the way that we taught and how to hold an audience's attention. So I think it's all interrelated. Oh, it totally is. I'm thinking I love mentoring student teachers. And like the number one things we talk about is holding the kids' attention and time management, which those are the two things you just said. <laughs> Oh, and I, I mean, I don't know if I built it up when I was a teacher or what, but like I, somebody can tell me I, whenever I do like a presentation, I'll always say to them, okay, so what's my, what's my end time? How much time do I have here? And if they tell me it's like all of a sudden it's in my head and I can like pace it perfectly. It's a, it's a teacher thing. Like you just know how to do it. I feel like it's a Marcy thing. You should like coin that and be like, <laughs> I know how to be the perfect time manager. I just don't want the bell to ring when I'm in the middle of a statement, you know, and then the kids don't listen to you like three seconds before the bell, they're packing everything up anyway. And you're like, you're never going to get heard. So got to right. make sure you hold their attention till the very end. It's funny. They have like a dance because you start seeing them looking at the clock and it's like, who dismisses you, the clock or Miss Henshaw? <laughs> I used I have to have teachers that covered the clock so that you couldn't see it in the oh, classroom. Mm. I know that doesn't, I don't like that at all. I'm not, that's not something I would do, but you know, teach his <laughs> own, I guess. Okay. So I, you just kind of already touched on this, but I want to know what else you have. What advice do you have for aspiring picture book authors? Like maybe one you're talking to right now. <laughs> I, you know, I think the most important thing that I would say is to focus on learning the craft of telling the best story that you possibly can. I think what happens sometimes with 
newer writers, and I was guilty of this when I start, first started writing about 10 years ago, is that um, you get involved in these communities online where everybody's writing and it's very energizing. And I love, I mean, I could not do this without my writing community. I, the, the Kidlet writing community is fantastic. The only thing is, is when you get involved in these communities, everybody's at a different part of their journey. And there are people who are querying agents like crazy or just got an agent or somebody who's trying to get their book published and other people who are trying to promote their books that are coming out. And it's easy as an, a young writer to get caught up into that and feel like you're behind the ball when really you just started the race after everybody else. Like it's okay, they're further ahead um, than you. And we don't always know how long people have been at this, you know, I mean, I know people who have been, you know, trying to get a book published for over 10 years, you know, and, and they and they haven't been able to do it yet. So you never know what part of the journey somebody's on. So just pay attention to your own journey and know that it's going to take some time to learn to write the best story that you possibly can. And when you get to the point where it's time to look for an agent or to try to publish your book, you'll know, you'll know that you, you have those skills and, but don't rush it. Don't rush it. It's, it's like what I always think when I'm out for a run and um, I might be like really dragging or something and I'll, I'll see another runner who looks like so super like fast and looks like a gazelle and I'm like just dying like I could just fall asleep on the sidewalk right there and I'm slogging through it and then I'll think to myself you know what they could live right on that corner and they just came out because I looked like a gazelle when I was on my street too it's that I'm now like a mile and a half in and I'm running uphill so you know or you know I, I somebody could be on their 10th mile they might be doing a long race you know you don't know you never know and it's better just to kind of focus on yourself and be like what do I need at this moment and how can I I work to learn how to write the best book that I possibly can. I love that. I even think that's in life. I feel like with all of social media and it's all looking at like their life and their life. And it's like, no, you just do your life. And I'm giving myself my own advice. Like you just do your life. Don't worry about their life. Just do your life. Yeah. Yeah. Keep it. I mean, I think there's a, there's a wonderful um, little video that people can find on YouTube if they want to. It's um, it, the actor, uh, Ildris Elbra does this whole thing about keeping your head down and focusing on your own lane. And that he says that sometimes if he sees like a giant hill, or I think he's talking about swimming actually. And he says that, you know, this great distance ahead of him, but if he keeps his head down and just keeps on doing the motion over and over again, he'll get there. And don't look at the person who's to your right or to your left, like just focus on your journey. And he brings that back to just being creative and, and just kind of you know, if you, if you need more time to write, to learn how to write a better story and enroll in more classes, then, then do it. Don't feel like you're behind. You're not compared to anybody else. I love that. That's such a great advice. Okay. So the next question is one of my favorites because I love to be nosy about new upcoming books. So what can you tell us that's on the horizon for you that you're allowed to talk about? <laughs> Oh, I, and I just found out yesterday, I, I was like, do I have permission to talk about this stuff? Because it's pretty exciting. So um, in 2020, I started doing a lot of work with Epic, which is an online digital platform. For yes, I work with them too. Everybody loves Epic. Oh, you actually work with them? Yeah, like I partner with them. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's awesome. So I started doing some writing for them. And um, I have a 
a comics uh, series that's coming out that is a spin-off of the Cat Ninja uni universe, and it is called Time Buddies. There's already one episode that is out um, that is written by the two creators, but then they gave me lead writer moving forward. So I am actually writing my very first comic series, which is a lot of fun. I also feel like um, it gives me a little bit more street cred with the kids. They love it when they find out that I'm writing, you know, graphic novels and comics and whatnot. Um, but yeah, I've been doing a lot of really fun, exciting stuff with the um, Epics Originals team. Um, I've written some short stories for them. I wrote a chapter book series that is a spin-off of their My, My Pet Slime series. Um, so it's all going to start coming out soon and I look forward to it because kids love Epic. Oh, I go yes, to they asked me, what are you working on? And the second that I say I'm doing some work for Epic, like their heads explode. And I was oh. like, wow. I'm like, I suddenly feel like one of the cool kids. <laughs> No, it's so true. And they love Epic and we love Epic because last year it like saved our lives because they were able to have so much book access and just like so thankful for Epic helping teachers and students all over the world just have books in their hands. And it's so true. You say like, okay, you can go on Epic and they're always like, okay, okay, how long, how long? Oh, that is so sweet. You know, I, I have to say that I sometimes credit Epic for saving my life too, because my first contract for Epic came at, I think it was March, 2020. And, um, you know, when the, when the pandemic first hit, so many people who are creatives talked about just not having any kind of fire or fuel to be able to create. And some people, you know, went a whole year without creating or writing. But because I had projects that I was working on for Epic and I was working directly with their editors, it, it kept me going. It, it made me realize that I am a creator, that I can create even when weird stuff is going on outside, that I can use my writing as a source of um, joy and solitude and to just kind of go inward and create fun stories. And I didn't know that about myself beforehand. There, I've gone through other things in my life that, you know, were very tumultuous and suddenly I couldn't seem to write at all. And I feel like Epic saved me in that way. So yeah, they, they were instrumental in my 2020 as well. Oh my gosh, that's so cool. Shout out to Epic. That's so exciting. Okay, so you kind of already have talked about your picture book community, but I would love for you to talk a little bit about the Writing Barn and the other group, Picture the Books. Yeah, so Picture the Books is actually, it's my debut picture book group. It's the group that I joined when all of us, like a bunch of us had picture books coming out in 2017, which were our first picture books. And you know, that is just one of the groups that I belong to that is so instrumental in my success as a kidlit writer because no, I didn't really specifically learn craft or take classes from them, but it's the camaraderie and the constant support and encouragement because when you're a writer, it is very solitary. Like you're in your house, you're in your pajamas sometimes. I sit on my couch and I write. Like you don't have an office that you go to. You don't have colleagues per se, maybe on a project by project basis you do. Um, but to have your kidlit community that you can go to and talk about some of the, you know, issues that you're running into or some of the questions that you have is, is so very important. And then in addition to that, 
the many classes that I've taken along the way and workshops that have taught me how to write story. Um, I, in all of the people that I've shared my stories with that have given me feedback, I, I often say just like, I think there's a Brene Brown quote where she talks about how no creativity um, is made without midwifery. And I really do feel like every single thing that I've ever created had so many other caring hands on it. I'm just the lucky one that gets to have my name on the cover. And I don't even know why, because it's, it's such a collaboration. It really is. It's such a, it's such, it's such a, a, a you know, helping each other along. And so I just, I owe so much to my Kidlit community. And I believe strongly when I first decided that I wanted to start writing for children, which was about 10 years ago, I reached out to a couple people who were in the industry that now that I look at it, <laughs> they were pretty high up. And I was a little daring to think that they would give me some attention by reading my tiny little horrible manuscript, but they did. And what that meant to me was that you never know who is coming to you with an idea for a book or a spark that they want to do this for a living. And had that person shot me down and been like, ugh, it's really hard to become a children's author or, oh, you need to take a lot of classes, like don't come to me. I probably would have been discouraged and I might not be here today. And so I have a personal policy that I take everybody seriously who comes to me and says, I have a dream of doing this because we all started out just having a dream to do this. And so through the classes that I teach at the writing barn, and I teach a class for the University of California, San Diego, um, through those classes, it's really about that whole idea of reaching down to the people who are you know, not as far along on the journey as you are and helping them because you just, you just never know. It's good peopling, you know, it's, it's yes. just good humaning. That's what you want to do. And, and so that's true. what to me, the Kidlet community is. No, I, I totally agree with that. I think that's um, what the Ramona recommends. And when people reach out like, oh, how did you, you know, do this and this? And I could be like, oh, I'm not going to help you. And I'm like, no, like we all deserve to be in the space. We're all doing it for the greater good. And everybody needs to be each other's cheerleaders. And that, that's just like the way I was raised. That's the way that I just live my life. It's important for everybody to respect others. Of course, of course. And, you know, it's also incredibly vulnerable for somebody to reach out and say, can you read my manuscript? Does this have any, you know, any potential in it? Or, or I've always thought about writing a book, like, how do I do that? You know, I mean, I answer those emails, you know, I, I do critiques for, you know, for a, a small fee and, you know, I, but you just never, ever shut the door on anybody because you, you don't know, you don't know. I mean, some of them, yes, they will forget that they wanted to write a children's book the next week. And it was just like a flight of fancy or whatnot, but some of them are like me where it's been inside them for decades. And this is the, this is a crucial moment in their development. And I never want to be the person who shut the door on anybody. Oh, you're so lovely. Oh, so <laughs> lovely. So lovely. Okay. So my next three questions are quick ones, but everyone doesn't like when I ask them because when you're a book lover, it's like saying my mom always goes, I don't have a favorite child. I'm like, mom, I know I'm your favorite. <laughs> But like, what is your favorite book you've read this year? Well, I'm going to cheat a little bit because I kind of put 2020 and 2021 all together in my brain and I can't seem to look at them as like 
a year and a half so no, far. They're yeah. yeah, they're they're totally together. So I had a stack of picture books that I took out from the library like the week before everything shut down. And the cool thing was that some of these picture books I got to keep for like 10 months because the library wasn't taking books back. And this one picture book that I had in that pile, I never wanted to give back to the library. It was almost like I was willing the San Diego Public Library to be like, we'll never take books back so I could keep this book. It's called Also an Octopus by Maggie Takuda Hall, and it's illustrated by Benji Davies. And it came out in 2017. And this book has everything for me. As a teacher, you should totally look at it because it's a it's basically on how do you build a story and it talks about how you start with a character and it starts with this ukulele playing octopus but then the octopus needs to want something so it gives the octopus a desire and then it says but now you have to find a way to make him active to try to reach what he wants and it takes you through how to build a story but it has a wacky rabbit in it. It has a rocket to the moon. It has waffles in it. I mean, it is just delightful and the illustrations are really great. And it has on the cover a octopus playing the ukulele, which I played the ukulele and I was like, I need this book. And I'm so glad that I had it in my house for so long from the library and then I had it by my own copy. <laughs> That's so great. I have a funniest story. So I think I was in high school and I would go get picture books and bring them home. Well, I don't think like I knew about like late fees. I, I don't even know. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. And so one day my, we came up from school and I answered the phone when we all had house phones and I'm like, hello. And they said, it was Courtney Henshaw there. And I said, this is, and it was a collections agency. And I owed like all this money to the library. So my parents made me go down to the library with them. I had to talk to the children's librarian. And I was like, I can't afford to pay this. And so I had to do like volunteer hours and then they like cut it in half and I will never return a book late ever again. Wow. I actually, the San Diego Public Library has done away with late fees. Oh. So you get reminder, like they'll automatically renew it for you like up to four or five times. And then they will, um, they'll send you reminders that you need to return a book. And then I think if it goes on for so long, they do send you to like some collections department at like the the courthouse or something it's like really like it goes from nothing to all of a sudden like uh -huh. jail time but it's like a little... I go to jail? <laughs> but but how awful to tell you you have to volunteer in the library I mean that actually sounds like a a gift to me <laughs> right I know but I was like so embarrassed and I was just like nobody look at me I'll do my hours and then <laughs> you're like they're gonna know this about me for my entire life that I'm a criminal it's so funny when I go into that library now that like feeling goes in my chest and I'm, okay I look I mean that was when I was like 16 and I'm 37 so I don't think they know me oh that's funny it is so funny okay last two questions oh these are my favorite because I just love learning new picture books what is your all-time favorite from like whenever picture book that gave you a confetti moment my favorite as a kid and still as an adult is Richard Scarry's Busy Town, Busy People. And the reason why, I mean, that book came out in the 70s when I was a kid. And um, I, to this day, want to write a book that requires so much from the illustrator to show you like a cityscape with all of these mini stories that are going on. You can sit and pour over one of those spreads for hours, like seeing all the, because especially on the cover, there's like, you know, a cutaway from like a, a 
apartment building and you see all the windows and all the things that are going on. And I mean, I'm a, I'm a city girl. I love the city. And just to see all of those stories upon stories upon stories that might not even be mentioned in the text, it's magical for me. So to me, if I could ever write a story where an illustrator would want to do that sort of thing with my text, that would be gold. Ooh, I love that. That sounds plus there, was, plus there was the seek and find part because you always had to look for gold bug. And I love that sort of thing too. Like the little things hidden in the illustrations, so much fun. Yes, uh, Kayla Heron does that with her book series, A Girl Like You, Boy Like You. She hides little things from the end papers in the book and you have to find them. It's so fun. Love, love that. that. Okay, what picture book can you not wait to come out in 21 or 22? Okay, this goes back to the fact that I am huge about my writing community. So I have been in a critique group with an author named Kirsten Larson for several years. I think we've had this critique group now maybe for seven years. And she, because I'm in a critique group with her, I get, you know, we always read each other's manuscripts when they're in the most infant stage where it's just a, you know, a, a written document. And she wrote a picture book called A True Wonder, The Comic Book Hero Who Changes Everything. And it's about all the women who played a part in the creation of Wonder Woman. And I have fallen in love with this manuscript since the very earliest draft that I ever read. And I kept on saying to her, I was like, oh, this has to be a book, this has to be a book. And it comes out on September 28th of 2021. And I cannot wait. And, you know, it's just, once again, that's part of the community of Kidlet. We just kind of cheer each other's on and we become fangirls of other people's books. And I just, I can't wait to hold this Wonder Woman book in my, my, in my hand. So it's called A True Wonder. And I think it comes out with um, HMH. Oh my gosh, I love it. So now I have a question, another one that's not on here because you said that you love to go to Balboa Park. Have you heard of The Tree Lady? Oh, I love that book. I love that book. I've had that book for a very long time before I lived in San Diego. Um, and I pass by the Kate Sessions statue every single morning when I go for my run. And uh, I just, I never knew about Kate Sessions until I read that book. Once again, a little morsel of knowledge where I'm like, totally know who Kate Sessions is now because I read a picture book about it. Exactly, exactly. Well, was there anything that we didn't discuss or you want to share more with my listeners before I bid you adieu? I don't think so. I'm just, I, I just feel so filled with gratitude for being able to do what I do on a day-to-day -day basis. And, you know, it, not a day goes by that I don't pinch myself and say, oh my goodness, I'm a children's author. I get to do this. So thank you so much for inviting me on and asking me such great questions and just allowing me to geek out about books for a little while. I love it. And where can my Confetti Moments listeners find you to continue learning about all your books and all the amazing things you're doing? Well, you can go to my website, which is thisismarcycolleen.com. And I'm also on Twitter at marcycolleen1 because there was another Marcy Colleen out there. So I am Marcy Colleen one. And then I'm also on Instagram at Marcy Colleen. Yay. I'm so glad you're on Instagram. I would love for you to tell all your book friends to come over to the gram because I last on Twitter about five minutes and can't do it. <laughs> so then I want to tag some of the authors in my book reviews. And I'm like, oh, they only have Twitter. I know. I know. And I'm new to Instagram. I'm very new to Instagram, but 
I, I found that people were sharing about my books like once a week or so. And I was like, at least re-gram this, you know, so other people can can see it. So it, it's been great. I love that. I mean, you can look at yummy treats and, and cute animals and you don't have to worry about all the stuff that goes on on Twitter. Yeah. Ooh. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on Confetti Moments today. Thank you. Hey, teachers. How are you? I am just so thankful that you have been listening to the Confetti Moments podcast. It is something that I love to do. I love to share my love of picture books and books and the love of teachers with all of you. And you know what I would love as well is, hey, why don't you share this podcast with another friend to spread the magic with them and leave a comment. Let teachers know, what do you love about this podcast? What do you want me to share more of? I would love to hear from you. All you have to do is go on to wherever you listen to your podcast and leave a review. Thanks so much. And as always, open the magic. Thank you so much for tuning into the Confetti Moments podcast. I hope each story or tip you heard today brings the love of reading into your heart. Take this confetti and sprinkle it all over the children in your classroom or home. See you back here next Monday to open the magic.